0: Please remain standing for the reading of God's Word. We will be looking this morning in Luke chapter 1, and you can find it in your Pew Bible on page 855. Well, as the people of God, let us give our diligent attention to the reading of His holy Word. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God shall stand forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray together. Oh, Lord, we ask, would you speak for your servants who are listening, a story, in fact, that many of us have perhaps heard from childhood. Might you open the eyes of our heart that we might see wonderful things From your law, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. If you are following along with us, that is either perhaps having heard online or perhaps even watching online this morning or been with us in person, not only are we in the gospel of Luke, but we have now come to a second story in which a baby is to be born. It's a foretelling of another child. There seem to be, if you know anything about the first, that is of John the Baptist, there seems to be many similarities. You have two women who you would not imagine to be pregnant, but who become pregnant. You have two babies, in fact, to be born, and they, in fact, will be cousins, You might even suggest there are two hymns. There are songs to be a part of it. And as much as you might read these stories and say, Luke, it it seems as though you might be doing a comparison, helping us understand how Jesus and John the Baptist are similar. Actually, I think Luke is doing something quite different. I think he is trying to draw our attention not to how they are similar, but in fact, their contrast. How are they different? The birth. Of John the Baptist is to be special for sure. But I think what Luke is saying here is there's something altogether more special about this child whose name is Jesus. This encounter that you no doubt have heard, Mary with the angel Gabriel, doesn't it tell us a great deal of the plan of God and how he chose and insignificant person, in an insignificant place to save mankind. It's almost a foreshadow, isn't it, of the kind of ministry that this child Jesus would have, would engage in. Martin Luther, on one occasion, as it pertains to this text, actually says it this way, God might have well gone to Jerusalem and picked out Caiaphas, his daughter, who was fair, rich, clad in gold and embroidered raiment and attended by a retinue of maids in waiting. But God preferred a lowly maid from a mean town. Mean meaning Nazareth. You remember what we'll later hear in John's gospel. Nothing good came out of Nazareth. And this is what Luther is saying. God could have chosen to come into the palace, into the high place, and bring forth his royal son. But instead he chooses a poor place, a lowly place. But why? Because the mission and ministry of Jesus was that of humility, wasn't it? That he first would humble himself if you were with us in Sunday school, I made mention of this. That he would first humble himself before the father would exalt him. It puts a little bit of teeth in demonstration form what Peter says. Actually, it's a quotation from Isaiah, but what is Peter saying? God gives grace to the humble. He gives grace to the lowly. Luther, when he translates what you see in verse 28, where Gabriel says, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. In fact, Luther's translation is, O Mary, you have a gracious God. O Mary, you have a gracious God. Why does he say that? It's because this story is all about grace. The beginning of Christmas, the whole of Christmas, and the whole of the Christian life is one entirely about grace. And so I want to look at that theme this morning under three headings, scary grace, supernatural grace, and sustaining grace, as you have perhaps already heard or already know. Luke is concerned about details. A historian, a doctor, he wants the facts. And so he provides to us facts, not something that he would try to hide or sugarcoat, but he tries to put it in a historical setting. He tells you about the specific place. He tells you about the specific people. He tells you about when it is to take place. It's a real time, real history, real event. And he wants you to know how important it is. He's he's not trying to cover it up. He's not trying to sugarcoat anything. He wants you to know what really happened. Don't you wonder when Luke was doing some of his research, what that might have been like? Did Luke ever talk to Mary and ask Mary, "What, what was it like? What was it like to have Gabriel in front of you? How did you feel? What did he say? Did he say more than that? What did you say? Did you say more than that? What was it like? Oh, wouldn't it have been a wonderful opportunity to just be around when Luke was doing his interviews? Because what takes place doesn't seem to match with what we might think. What does Gabriel say? He he appears to Mary and says, "Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you." He's speaking a word of greeting one who is favored. In fact, he's going to use that word again in verse 30 to describe Mary. And it's not a word that we are most accustomed to. You, you recognize Gabriel's not saying to Mary, will you, will you do me a favor? That's how we use that term. Will you do me a favor? And, and what do we mean? Well, it could be a couple of things. Will, will, you, will you help me? Will you, will you show some act of kindness towards me? Or perhaps it's will you do something for me because you owe me? That's not... What's happening here? Gabriel is not saying to Mary, will you do something for me? Will you help us? The Greek word for favored there is charis. It's the Greek word for grace. That's what Gabriel is in fact saying. It's why Martin Luther said, "Oh Mary, you have a gracious God. Because that's what Gabriel is saying to her is you have a gracious God. When he says, oh, favored one, forgive the grammatical lesson for a moment, it is a passive participle, which means Mary is the recipient of it, not the source. She's the object of this grace, not the source of it. Gabriel is not saying, you are a gracious woman. You have so much, you can give it away. That's what Rome teaches, don't they? When they study this passage, they look at Mary and, well, they say that she is sinless. Nowhere in the scriptures can you read Mary is, in fact, sinless. Nowhere in the scriptures do we read God owes Mary something. Nowhere in the scriptures do we read Mary has done so well, she deserves this opportunity. That's not what Gabriel is saying. And Rome has, well, they have really messed this verse up. And if you know anything about it, they have a prayer that goes along with it. It says something like this. Hail Mary, full of grace. Blessed are thou amongst women and blessed is the fruit of thy womb. Holy Mary, mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. There are biblical words in there, but that is a very unbiblical prayer. This has nothing to do with Mary, as though she has so achieved some standing in humanity that she deserves what is taking place. Mary can't give you and me anything. She too is in need just like we are. And so if you're looking at this story and your, your attention, your focus goes to Mary, you've missed it. This is not a story of Mary. It's a story of grace. It's a story, in fact, of whom will come from Mary. But don't you find it odd how she responds? When Gabriel shows up and says, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. I want you to imagine that for a moment. You have just seen an angel. You have received grace. You are a recipient of grace from God on high. What would you expect? Thank you. I am so grateful. I, I couldn't have asked for anything better. This is such an exciting moment that's not what Luke records, though, is it? What does Luke tell you that she says or her response? She's troubled. She's in great distress. But why? Not because Gabriel is in front of her, not because of his presence, but because of what he says. Because of what, in fact, Gabriel has proclaimed Gabriel has said to Mary, Grace be to you. And Mary is, in fact, troubled by it. I think it's because she has just heard and understood what that means. That when grace comes, it comes with implications. That the grace of God, when it comes to Mary, when it comes to you and me, it it has implications that are in fact a part of it. Maybe Mary is asking in her mind, I wonder what God wants with me now. I wonder what He's about to do as He is giving to me this grace. I wonder what is coming next. The reason why I think she is troubled is because as she's being confronted by grace, she has to initially go, this has nothing to do with me. I'm not the source of this. It means it's entirely of God, and I have no part in it. It means that because I've done nothing, there isn't a limit that God can't ask of me. You see, if Mary had deserved this grace, she could go, this far, God, and no further. I've actually done this and am in deserving of X. And I think what Mary is confronted with is, but I have done nothing. And it means God can ask anything of me. It's, it's unsettling. It's, it's disturbing. It's, it's scary. Now, do not misunderstand what I am saying here. Grace is free. It is free to you. You did not earn it. You and I do not deserve it. But it does not mean it doesn't have implications. And you can consider the implications, even looking at Mary's life. What are some of the implications that Mary is going to have to undertake with the grace that she has just received? Well, she's engaged to Joseph. She's engaged. It's a a public ceremony. It's not the same kind of term that you and I would use. There's a lot more commitment involved in their engagement than there is in our engagement. You're looking at uh, somewhere around a year-long process. And everything but a final service and the consummation of that marriage has already been laid out. Everything else is lined up and ready to go. For all intentional purposes, they are married, just not living together. That, that's where we are. They've already had this public ceremony. I'm engaged to Joseph. But what you're saying to me, I'm deserving of divorce. You mean to tell me I'm about to be pregnant? My life was on track. I had a good man. And then you showed up with grace. My plans went out the window. It has redirected everything. Nothing can stay the same. I'm going to go home. People are going to find out that I'm pregnant. It's going to expose me to the community. My marriage that hasn't even begun is probably already about to fall apart. And all because Gabriel has showed up and said, greetings, O oh favored one, you have received grace. You know, I think we forget about that. We like to tame Christmas and think about how nice it must have been but you can imagine what it would have been like that first Christmas for Mary. She wasn't looking for a tree with lots of presents wrapped up underneath it. It was incredibly scary because grace isn't some well-packaged gift. It doesn't come with some kind of pretty bow on it. What Mary is showing you is you no, know, grace is a wild life-altering truth. You see, that should confront you and I. Because when we talk about Christianity, if it shows up in your life and nothing changes about your life or my life, it's just a simple addition, you you add a little bit of Jesus, you're not talking about biblical Christianity. You're talking about a counterfeit God. There's no room in the gospel for it to show up in your life and your life stay the same. And that's what Mary is showing to us Here, grace is in front of me, and it's unbelievably scary because it is changing everything. I am not allowed to be who I was. I'm not allowed to be who I want to be. And so what we're getting in this story this morning is not some simple, old-fashioned Christmas tale. No, it's a buckle up, because when grace shows up in your life, it changes everything, and that's what Mary is showing us. Grace always changes us. And that's why Luke is emphasizing it. He's not trying to say, look at how extraordinary Mary is. Actually, I think he's saying the opposite. Look at how ordinary Mary is, but look at how beautiful grace is. When it comes, it comes with force, it has implications. It changes, and I think if we're honest, it's a little bit scary because it changes us. Secondly, we, got, we have scary grace, and we have supernatural grace. Mary, she's troubled at the greeting, and so Gabriel makes this attempt to reassure her. He recognizes something's not right here. She's troubled. She's afraid, and so Gabriel, so kind of him, says, well, do not be afraid. Don't don't be afraid. And then what does he proceed to say next? You will conceive in your womb and bear a son. The intention of reassuring her not to be afraid, he continues by saying, I know that you're not married, and I know that you're a virgin, but you're about to be pregnant. It's not very reassuring, you see. When he says grace to you, and she says, I'm a little disturbed, and he goes, Oh, don't worry about it, you're going to be pregnant. (laughs) That's not how that works. But that's you and I reading it at a surface level. Do you see what Gabriel is really saying to her? Why can he say to her, do not be afraid for you're going to be pregnant. You're going to bear a son. What is he saying? Mary, you are the recipient of grace. And what, he, what I mean is you are the recipient of a person who is grace. Grace. When I said to you, grace be to you, I am talking about a person, not some slot machine that you pull and you try to pick a little bit. It's not a slap it on top or dig it out and sprinkle on. It's not a condiment. Grace is a person. It's Jesus. How do you know that? How does God show me grace? How does God show you grace? He unites you to Jesus. He gives you Jesus. He sustains you in Jesus. He conforms you to the image of Jesus. You see what happens is the grace of God saves you. It remakes you. It holds on to you. And it brings you to glory Because when the grace of God shows up, it is always in Christ. It's never apart from. God has no grace for you or me that does not find its root in Jesus. He's not describing a mystery, you see. He's describing a person. Grace is supernatural. He's... Not telling you something about Mary He's telling you something about Jesus And that's why Gabriel Says to her You're going to bear a son he's, he's telling her Mary you need to hear this And in fact He's saying Danny you need to hear this Grace You are a sinner You see if you don't have sin You don't need Grace What's the point of it? What is he saying to Mary? Mary, you have sin, and you need need grace. And you see, it means you can interpret what he's saying to Mary when he says, Greetings, O favored one. You can understand him saying to you, if you are in Christ, he's saying, Greetings, Danny, O favored one. If you're in Christ, you are a favored one. You have received grace because you've received Jesus. You you have received his son. And so what Gabriel is telling her is, it's not just that you've received grace. It's not just that grace is gonna come down from heaven and enter into your womb. See, Mary, you think that you're going to deliver this baby, that you're gonna give birth to him, but in reality, he's going to give you new birth. And that's what he does for you and for me. Grace is a person. And she is recognizing what it means that this grace is coming into her. And it's supernatural. You know, many will say Mary is somewhere around the age of 12 to 14. And I don't have any 12 to 14 year old kids at home. So I don't actually know the intellectual understanding of a 12 to 14 year old experientially. But I'm quite certain Mary's not wondering how do babies get made. I'm pretty sure she knows something about that process. And so I don't think her question here is trying to show some kind of disbelief. I think she's saying, you're changing my life. Can, can you help me understand what comes next? You see, there's something about me that's going to Well, it's not going to allow for a baby. It's not going to work. This process is going to get broken up. And so she's asking, well, what happens? How does this work? And that's when Gabriel gives a fantastic answer, doesn't he? What does he say? This son, this grace, he's not coming like you and me he isn't made the same way you and I were because he wasn't made. He is the son of God. And I think what Gabriel is saying in in simple forms is, Mary, there's something entirely similar about your baby to you and something altogether different. You're gonna bear a son. He's going to come into the world just like everybody else He's going to grow in the womb just like everybody else. He's going to be a child just like everybody else. And we need to understand what we're saying here. We confessed it earlier in the Nicene Creed that he is a full man. We need to understand full doesn't mean he just has body parts. He is fully man. If Jesus were here in his full humanity, he doesn't know your name you're going to have to introduce yourself to him because he's a man. He doesn't know everything all at once in his humanity. When he's hungry, do you know what he did? He ate. When he's tired, he slept. It's why a former pastor of ours can't stand away in a manger. Jesus didn't lie in a cradle without crying. Baby Jesus cried all the time. That's how babies act. They have to let you know, this is your son, Mary. He is fully man. He's gonna be just like you. And you and I need to know that because it's vital to your salvation. When the author of Hebrews says, he is your faithful high priest, he is able to sympathize with you in every weakness that you and I have. It wasn't some, well, he was tempted one time and he did it right. No, he was just like you and me. If he fell down, his knees got skinned, and he bled just like you and I. He would have asked, Mary, Mama, please help me. It hurts. He's just like you and me. And yet, aren't you thankful he's nothing like you and me? Did you hear what Gabriel said? The Holy Spirit's gonna overshadow you. He's not going to be made exactly like you and me. He's going to be called holy, the Son of God, the Son of David. He is fully man and fully God. Don't you love what Luke records about how you would describe Jesus In verse 32, he will be great. You know, Luke said the same thing about John the Baptist, except for he said something a little bit different. Gabriel says to Zechariah, Your son's going to be great before the Lord. Jesus is great, no qualifier, because there's no limit to his greatness. He is God in flesh, and he's come down to dwell with his people. Another primer, you perhaps remember this song, veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity, pleased as man with men to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. It's the king of glory coming down to be with his people. He can sympathize with all of your weaknesses and mine, he's the son of David, the fulfillment of promise, the ruler and reigner of all things, past, present, and future. And you ask how? Because the Holy Spirit overshadows her. He he overshadows Mary, he hovers over her, just like he did what? Hovered over the waters in creation. He brought life in Genesis 1, and here he is again bringing eternal life through the Son of God. This holy one, in which you and I will sometimes confess he is the second Adam, undefiled. You see this scary grace, it's supernatural, but it does one more thing it's sustaining. You've got scary, supernatural, and sustaining grace. Mary is confronted with Gabriel. What's going to happen? How it's going to happen? And Mary doesn't say to Gabriel, could you give me a sign? You know, Zechariah did that. But Mary doesn't say, can you give me a sign? But she gets proof, doesn't she? And Gabriel says, this is who's going to be in your womb, and then without any kind of interruption, begins in verse 36. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. Consider your relative. She's six months pregnant. She's already with son. This barren woman who is just following in line as you've heard from Pastor Joel. There's a long lineage of barren women in the scriptures who The Lord works and gives to them a child. Why do you think Gabriel is telling Elizabeth something? Because, or uh, Mary, I think what Gabriel is saying to Mary is, you see Elizabeth, she's a sign of the power of God. But what you see with Elizabeth and all those other women, they were beyond hope because they were barren. No, see, yours is beyond human possibility. There is nothing that you can do to bring this one in. And that's why he says, nothing is impossible with god do you believe that that god can open the womb of a barren woman and give child that god could overshadow a woman and bring forth life that there is in fact nothing impossible for him bringing it down to your level and mind that there is no sin that he can't forgive That there is no relationship, no marital problem that he can't restore and reconcile. That there is no child so far gone that he cannot bring back. There is no ministry that he cannot use. No grief he can't comfort. No hurt he can't heal. It's because grace is scary, it's disruptive. When it comes, it changes. It changes a person because it's supernatural. Because grace is Jesus and he sustains. That's what's helpful in Mary's life. She models that for us. If you want to understand how you're gonna make it in life, you can look at Mary's life. Grace has just come to her and what is her life about to be? sure we've we 've talked about it. How is this marriage going to work i 'm supposed to be engaged, and here I am about to be exposed for being pregnant yes that is that is hard, but just imagine that is nothing compared to what is coming she 's going to have to watch her son enter into this world and the kind of ministry that he 's going to engage in and eventually she 's going to have to stand just a short distance away from watching her son be put on trial, convicted, put on a cross, crucified, she's going to have to watch her son die. This is the implication of grace in Mary's life. How is she going to make it, this mother of Jesus? Because grace sustains us. And how do you know that? Because Luke tells you how Mary responds. This historian gives you exactly what you and I need. The gospel is not a crutch for weak-minded people. It's trying to give to you and me what you need to be sustained in life. There is something special about Mary. The scriptures do say that she is one of the most remarkable women, but not because she's better than you and I. What does she say to Gabriel? Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. We're not there yet in the Gospel of Luke, but if you were to fast forward several chapters to Luke chapter 11, Jesus is going to, he's going to teach on the Lord's Prayer, and then He's going to Talk about, well, he's gonna cast out a couple of demons, actually, and describe unclean spirits. And then there's these two verses that kind of just interject themselves because there's a crowd of people and a woman is going to shout out, blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts at which you nursed. And you say, yes, it's true. We agree with that. Do you know what Jesus says in response? He doesn't say yes and Amen. He says, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. That's what Mary is saying. I'm I'm not so ecstatic because you came to me, because I'm going to bear this child, but because you revealed the word of God to me. You told me what is true. You have given to me the promise of the gospel, and that the promise of the gospel is a person and you gave him to me that's a blessing you and I have that's where Luke 11 helps you blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it perhaps the blessing for you this morning is you didn't even know you needed salvation that grace is in fact a person that you need to meet his name is Jesus Maybe the blessing for you is you're not really sure that nothing is impossible with God, that there's a limit to what He is able to do, that something about your life is superseded the sovereignty of God, that what we mean in nothing is too hard is simply just salvation, but after you're saved, you've got to make it on your own. Maybe you need to be reminded nothing is impossible with God, not just salvation, sanctification, and the securing grace that brings you to glory. And perhaps many of you need to be confronted with the blessing that God still speaks, that you don't need Gabriel to show up anymore because you have the living Word of God bound up in Jesus and revealed to us in the scriptures. We're not in Advent season yet. Lord willing, that will start next week. But there is a sense in which I hope you would read this story afresh and hear, oh, greetings, oh, favored one, you who have received grace, this scary, supernatural, sustaining grace that you, in fact, might surrender to it that you might in fact submit to it and that this grace that has worked in your life would change it and move you to love him and move you to follow him all because of his grace. Let me pray to that end. Our God and our Father, it's it's an easy temptation when we enter into a season like this Thanksgiving, Christmas, to, to just have stories that we're, we're just so accustomed to and yet have so little impact on our life. And so I pray, Father, show us Your grace, the scariness of it that it changes us. We cannot be left the same. The supernatural nature of it that we can't, we can't pick it up. We cannot put it on. It needs to be put on us and work in us, and teach us its sustaining power. That we have nothing else to lean on and to depend on, but grace, because it's Jesus. And so we pray, give to us Jesus. Unite us to him, and conform us to his image that we might love and follow him. This day, and all our days, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.